Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman, and I'm here with my friend and trusty producer all the way back from Korea, Max. How's it going? Feeling good, man. Konnichiwa. <laughs> we are also here with our pop <laughs> Can culture. Can I say that? Uh, sure, why not? Also here with us is our pop culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. Shane, Arigato. what's up? Arigato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Guys, the three of us have not been in a room together like this in quite some time. Yeah, you know, I demanded that we pod this afternoon because we're going to be hanging out later tonight watching the Raptors game. That's You're right. invited, Shane. Is that, is that Mike Spice? Yeah. And, <laughs> don't worry about it. And uh, But I was like, I need to get you know, the Korea trip out of the way so I can have a normal conversation with you because otherwise tonight we just wouldn't be talking to each other. We'd be avoiding conversations. Uh, So it's great to be back in a room with you guys. Love it. I recently did, I guested on a podcast called Heist Podcast, which Max, you've also been a part of with our friends, uh, Matt and Simon down in Los Angeles. Listen to that pod. It's great. I haven't had the chance to listen though. It's great. It is, is awesome. It? Mike is uh, an amazing guest. He tells some awesome stories. Okay. And it's true. And, and, and Mike, he was very uh, diplomatic in the, in the opening of the interview. He says, uh, he's like, you know, it's called the Mike on Mike podcast, but Shane is the most entertaining. Max is the most famous. I'm just Mike. <laughs> and he's very self-deprecating. Yeah. And then they made fun of me for pulling like Canadian bullshit. Right. Yeah. What? Were they putting me down? They're like, you're the most entertaining. <laughs> No, no I want to know. about you, Shane. Mindfulness, Shane. I am. I'm mindful of how people put me down behind my back. No, they were great. They were fantastic. I haven't listened back to it yet, but uh, thank you, Max, for the kind words. So listen to that if you get a chance to, to check it out. Also today on the show, we are talking to Dashboard Confessional, Chris Caraba. The Dashboard Confessional. Yeah, so we'll get to him in a little bit. But before we do that, we didn't bury the lead, but we're getting to it now. I've been in California for like 11 days. Max, you've been on the other side of the world, South Korea, hanging out with all of our medal-winning Canadian Olympians. Yeah. And Shane? What have you been doing? Uh, I took over the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. And you were awesome You did a great job. Well, oh, I was thanks. on the road. Uh, I would check in on the Twitter and I saw you just interacting with people, tweets and replies, and you yeah. were hilarious. I was kind of flooding. My plan was, because uh, I've been following this guy named Gary V. if you don't know him. But his whole thing is he's a motivational kind of business guru. And he's like, reply to everyone. He's like, he has 3 million followers and he replies to everyone. Wow. So I was like, I'm just going to interact and engage. And, you know. How did you find that experience? It was fun. I I had the best time doing it. Oh, good. And I think our followers really enjoyed interacting with you. Everybody seemed to, it had such a great sort of response. The nut is right when it comes to this stuff. He's been encouraging us a lot more interaction on social media. So yeah, the Mm -hmm. nut's been telling us about this. I hung out with the nut the other night. Oh, yeah. I did, yeah. We'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to that in a second. By the way, though, uh, we got an email today from Webmaster Dan with our numbers through the roof in quarter one in 2018. Okay, did you notice? I didn't didn't look at it very closely. The Q4, like, I don't know what these numbers mean. But the Q4 went down a notch before we went up. And when it was down, that was the week the nut did the dessert. (laughs) 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 But I want to take this moment to tell our listeners, thank you very much. And also tell your friends, subscribe, rate the, the, the podcast, do all those things that you need to do. It means the world to us because uh, if those quarters or whatever they just said keep going up, <laughs> it means we get to keep doing this and the kind people at Much uh, keep getting us cool opportunities. Yeah. So uh, thank you to all of you who listen. So, uh, you know, speaking of uh, the trip to Korea and speaking of the nut, uh, he was on the trip to Korea. And yeah. if you follow our Deservedly cousins, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? He did a great job. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you looking like that? Oh, just because he's been giving us flack, obviously. For talking negatively about oh, him on the pod. Oh, sure, yeah, because we kind of killed him last week's episode. Yeah. I just want to say, I do think he uh, did deserve to be there. Yeah. And it's just playful teasing. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but that, that's literally like like when somebody's being held hostage. <laughs> it's like say the line. Yeah. It's like a gun to the head. Well, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and I felt yeah. like we hurt him somehow. No, he was cool about it. I think I think he enjoyed it. Well, here's here's what we should say. So right before we all left away on vacations and and sort of split off for for a couple weeks, uh, our last episode, we made some jokes about the nut. Yeah, and but I we- printed off some uh, texts from him also. <laughs> oh, good. So for the maybe dessert? he's less okay to me than he is to you. But oh, you see before what? we get yeah. to those texts, I just wanted to clarify: we love the nut, and the whole gag is that he's uber successful. Yeah. Well, if you listen to Bill Simmons' podcast, they they always make fun of their agent James Babydoll Dixon in mm-hmm. a way that we make fun of the nut. And James Babydoll Dixon. Also represents Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert. He's he's a very successful person, and all they do is trash him. All right, so I've been. Wait, at, we're not going to hear these emails, or are you saying oh, for dessert? Well, I could save them for the end. I just yeah. Do you want to talk about this on dessert? Sure. All right. So you know the trip to Korea was crazy. I've, I've been home for about a week now, I guess, and every single person who I've run into on the street, like random strangers, just go Korea, and I like <laughs> and I tell the story, and I've so I've told the story so many times. And I think if anybody's been following our socials, they kind of get a sense of what happened. Uh, you know, we partied with the Canadian Olympians. Tess and Scott introduced us at the show at Canada House. We got to go to a hockey game. We got to go to uh, speed skating. We ate a bunch of Korean food. We sang karaoke with uh, the Olympians till five in the morning. It, it was all very surreal and amazing. And of all the things we've done in the band, this is like sticks out as by far the most unique thing we've done because we've played the Junos a couple times, which is thrilling, big festivals, which is an honor. Coachella. Coachella, of course. Uh, but this was kind of a standalone uh, event for us. So it was amazing. But do you guys have any questions about, about the trip? Well, I heard, and this could be a bit of broken telephone, yeah. but I heard that Tessa Virtue was like the biggest Arkells and especially Max fan. <laughs> and Scott kind of threw a bit of a hissy fit and he was like, I'm out of here. And he didn't want to party with you guys. No. Because he got jealous. No, that's, that's, a, that's <laughs> not true. <laughs> that's not true at all. Okay. So Scott is fucking rad and he just wanted to party. So Tessa, I think Tessa could be the prime minister of Canada. She is so good to everybody. She's so smart. But very self-aware. Like, you know, I think she realized that as an Olympian, like you have this window of time where everyone's thinking about you. And then after the Olympics are over, you know, they kind of fade in the background. And she's like, oh, in a couple – she said to me, she's like, oh, in a couple weeks, no one will care about me. Like she said she was very self-aware about her like circumstance. And I think she's being a little modest. I think she – I still think of Elvis Stoiko from time to time. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I think she's going to live on in the minds of Mostly when you're alone in your bedroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Masturbating. Just so we're clear. <laughs> but – um but so she, but she was a little bit more like I'm gonna continue to take on the role as like the face of Canada here and like be on because every like they were the biggest celebrities in the entire country basically of at this point like in Korea let alone Canada and in America the Ringer did a huge piece on them yeah so she was I think a little more up for up for that and and Scott who has been up for that for the the like you know the months leading up to the Olympics and he's amazing and a sweetheart was like, I kind of just want to go party with my fellow Olympians right now. So there's a, there's a one thing where there was an interview that maybe Tessa was just going to do with us. And then Scott was like, no, I'll do it with you. But, but if I were Scott, I'd be out of there. I would not be doing any work for anybody. I won my two gold medals and I'm, let me party. Do you think he was a little jealous of you? He's 100% not jealous of me. Mm-hmm. And also, 
I, you know, another- he's seen Max skate. <laughs> he's seen my body. Uh, um, a lot of people ask, so give me the goods, Tess and Scott. That was my next question. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine that they're dating. I mean, maybe they're fooling everybody, but it, imagine like playing sports with the same person since you were seven years old and seeing mm-hmm. them every day. Like, how could you, since you're seven, how could you date someone? Like I that? totally buy that it is like a sibling esque or like working relationship. Yeah, yeah, like it's a working relationship one with pure respect mm-hmm. and love and all of that. But, stuff. But, yeah, and then but also has this like brother sister dynamic where it's like you've been through so much together. You know their flaws. Yeah, you, like I, at some point it's just kind of like oh yeah when they do that that annoys the shit out of me. Yeah, and, it's like you love them yeah. and like and you have like the deepest connection mm-hmm. with them and again because you've seen everything together. But you like you don't want to be romantic with that person. No, no, no. Okay, another sports analogy relating to their relationship. What base do you think he's gotten to <laughs> in their entire <laughs> run as a uh, couple? Uh, that's a good question. I I can tell you. Like, do you think he's gotten to first base with her? Is that kissing? It is. I think he got to first base in their routine. Yeah, I think it was pretty. <laughs> that intense. was like second base. <laughs> yeah. So you said what's the, the one where you're like eating someone out? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's third base at least. If that's second base, like come on, that's uh, third base. Yeah. yeah. So, so you just answer the question. Mm-hmm. Third base. But do you think they've ever like drunkenly made out? I have no idea. This is a think question. Do you think? I'm not saying. Um, do you know? I, if you ask me if I were to bet on it, I'd say yes. I'd, I'd bet on it. What about you, Mike? Uh, sure. They were so young together. You, they yep. probably experimented the way people yeah. experiment. Yeah. I mean, we're really taking <laughs> Webmaster Dan just exploded laughing. All right, what else? Any other questions about Korea? I, I had one. I know I saw on your stories and whatnot that like she was singing with the band. Yeah, yeah. Can she sing? Uh, she didn't. Re- she didn't really grab the mic. She was actually very self conscious about it. She, her favorite band is Hollow Notes. Oh, and so we brought her up for like the last part of "You Make My Dreams Come True." But I think she was kind of nervous to come up, like because she was uh, hanging with Manager Ash and they were like having a dance party and side stage, and then and Manager Ash is like she was like very nervous about coming. Well, Holler or Oats, I'm not sure which one tweeted at. Yeah, it. I think Daryl Hall did. Wow, or one of them. Who's but, the Daryl Hall and who is the Adam Oats of uh, Tessa and <laughs> Adam Scott? Oates. Is that his name? Uh, is that the hockey player? That's the hockey player. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Brett Hall and Adam Oates. <laughs> Brett Hall. <laughs> <laughs> what about Bobby Hall? Bobby Hall. That's Brett Hall's father. Oh, okay. I thought it was his brother. He's the original Hall. Is it Hull or Hall? Hull, I think. All I know is that hockey bros come here for the hockey content. We are happy to deliver. Have you heard this new sports pod? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know the whole second verse of that song. Because we played together. It's the only verse I know of that song because when we used to tour with you, you pull me up at the end of the set and then I'd wait for my second verse. Yeah. That and Run to You. I know the second verse of those two songs. songs. I only learn when I have to. Yeah, hey man, I hear you. As a result, I don't know the second verse. (laughs) I've been singing for the last last 10 years <laughs> every band you've ever turned yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mumb- right? mumble my way through it yeah but um yeah the canadian women's hockey team was great um yeah it was funny like we did uh, a cover of ironic by alanis morissette first yeah. time we ever did that people loved it are you stressed out when you have to learn the words to a cover yeah song? to make it worse though is that there's some songs that so like for instance everyone knows ironic right like that song could you but give us a little think. bit? Uh, an old man to 98 or whatever, right? Yeah. That song. I think I need a little more. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but here's the thing is that I didn't grow up with that song in the way that most other people did. It just like wasn't on my radar. Right. And so I'm learning the lyrics. I go on the internet and read them through and try to remember the rhymes and stuff. 
but I don't really nail the uh, phrasing in a way that like Alanis would nail mm-hmm. the phrasing. And it really drives the guys in my band crazy that I'm basically ruining the song. What would be an example? So it's like, there are, there are certain parts of the, the flow of the song. So it's like, I go, an old man to 98, he won the lottery and died the next day. Uh, it's like, but she would sing it like, an old man to 98. Like, She's giving it mm-hmm. br- yeah. time to breathe. You're connecting there's all the There's a words. flow and there's, a, there's a weight. And, and I fucked that up. And, uh, the guy, and I did the same thing when we covered Sabotage by the Beastie <laughs> Boys. And Mike D is a big Beastie Boys fan. And he was so furious with Just me. let him sing it. Well, I, that's what ended up happening. I was like, fuck, man. I'll do the first verse and you take the rest, man. <laughs> and uh, so that made him happy. I did see that uh, Tessa Virtue, Canadian superstar, mm-hmm. follows the nut on Instagram. Well, this is it. Is that Shane's <laughs> making the best face right now. Is that the, the trip was a success for many reasons for the nut. Uh, and, you know, he got to schmooze with – he got to hold a gold medal. He got to schmooze with, like, a bunch of Olympians. And we kind of made friends with Tessa Virtue. She was, like, very, like, sweet and easy to be around. And Adman Drash and Virtual, you know, they're having good hangs. And then he got the follow from Tessa Virtue, which you know makes him so happy. Made me happy for him. Do yeah. you have the follow, though? Oh, yeah. Right. That, that's how we got it originally. Okay, yeah, nice. That's how we got them to do the, the video. So, anyway, we feel really lucky about the whole experience. And, uh, again, Tessa and Scott have been very generous. Like, they didn't need to do that video announcing the Tim Hortons field show, but they did. And then they didn't need to, like, introduce us at the Canada House, but they did. She came to the second show that we did as well, and that's when she came up on stage. Very cool. Uh, so I feel like I don't want to bug her about anything else. And you guys were saying, let's get them on the pod today. And I do want to get them on the pod, but I don't want to bug her this moment because she probably is doing mm-hmm. a bunch of other press in the building. But then John Populus uh, just texted me saying, could I get Sarah, his his pregnant wife, is about to have a baby. And they're, um, she's a huge fan of Scott and Tessa and was wondering if I could get Tessa and Scott to give a shout-out video to Sarah, but do I go and do that? Mm. Could I have one for my wife also? <laughs> <laughs> She's pregnant too. <laughs> While you're at it, just, yeah. So I don't know if if I'm gonna make that ask. We'll see. Okay, I have more questions about uh, Olympic stuff. Yeah. Okay. So was there uh, any like stigma around like if a German guy went to sneak into the Canadian house to the party? Was it like get out of here? No, 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 no. Everyone countries like, uh, intermingled. Not a ton, but like if you saw someone out in the Olympic Village, like everyone's very friendly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was like roving gangs or anything like that. Were Olympians like kind of hooking up? No, not that I could tell, but who knows? Uh, how many followers did you gain? <laughs> I don't know. I think we it did go up though. Thirty five hundred followers. Oh, yeah. you've been keeping track. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you. On, really? on Instagram, yeah. They went up 3,500 after the Olympics. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that you appreciate about the Olympics... Uh, I suspect juicing. <laughs> juicing. <laughs> is that um, you really appreciate how small a slice of the cultural pie that music gets compared to the Olympics. Like, people... Everyone loves music, and there's a couple of massive superstars. But generally speaking, it's like the percentage of the population that's reading, like, music blogs is actually quite small. But they're like... Then it's the Olympics. Every single person is watching the Olympics. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, and so so to be a part of that is like, that's what, you know. Do you pay for your Instagram followers? No. <laughs> no. no of course not. I don't know. Okay. Was that the last Olympic question? That, yeah, that, those were the main things in my mind. Yeah. So uh, how was your trip to California? How was the Warriors game? I was so jealous. It was awesome. It was great. I mean, I, I, I don't have much to, to – I didn't have any like sort of world-famous Olympians along the way, uh-huh. but uh, – World-famous wife. Honestly, uh, I can only say amazing and kind things about her because she planned this whole trip. Uh, we 
we started in San Francisco and then made our way all the way down the coast. Yeah. So we were going to drive the coast highway all the way from San Francisco to Los Angeles, but there was a big landfall. So yeah. a section of the highway was shut down. So we had to go up through those mountains. Oh, wow. But we thought it would be like a shot through like the hills. Yeah. We started going up in like a zigzag motion. Right. And you're going up like to a crazy altitude now where you're like 100 feet above the water. And there's no railings on any of these roads. And oh, literally boy. all the separating you from like a 100 foot fall is... A little patch of dirt. A little patch of dirt. Mm-hmm. And once we, it dawned on us that can't go around, we've uh. come too far. We genuinely were just like terrified and she drove she drove it the whole, <laughs> she's the real you know hero <laughs> brave yeah. she's the real hero in our family and i'm in the passion side though so i am literally looking down a cliff and i had to just keep looking straight ahead we had music when we started but then we had to turn it off because it was so we had to concentrate because if a car comes around it's like you can't just move out of the way because you oh, fall off the cliff this is getting me yeah anxious. and it literally took an hour to get through the whole thing there were moments where we were like we're gonna fucking die up here like no. we are going to die up here and this is how it ends and i do have a funny video of us just like saying our goodbyes to everybody so that after the the car rolls off the hill they'll find the phone intact oh good and find the last what video. did you say to me and shane you guys didn't make the list oh. <laughs> but the point of, of all this is to say that danica literally planned out every spot we were going to stay at she planned the route she rented the cars she did everything and i i basically got to just show up and enjoy the whole trip and she's the fucking best what a lady yeah is there anything else we need to catch up on before uh before we get to some chris caraba i think that's the good stuff man that's it so you had a great time at the olympics yeah you gonna go back in four years uh two years man let's go to tokyo summer olympics summer olympics why not man it's pretty exciting who knows but uh yeah let's get to the dashboard all right so we interviewed chris caraba from dashboard confessional he has an album out called crooked shadows out of all the um you know rockers of that era and that emo scene he is by far the most like recognizable face like Mm -hmm. just in the popular culture and it hasn't changed no it hasn't changed at all yeah he's aged nicely who do you think is aged better him or jared leto Jared Leto, you might be more likely to say because he's better looking, but uh, I think it's a close I like call. I have a bunch of Dashboard fans tune into this, yeah. and they were just, just before we get to the interview, he's like, well, Jared Leto's better looking. Well, that's undeniable, right? Jared Leto's probably like the best looking man on earth right That's now. true. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. But Chris Carabo, I mean, like, he's a hunk, and he, he looks great. I think he's like 44 or Yeah, something. let's not cry for Chris Carabo. He's yeah. living no, a really fine. great life. Yeah. Being the uh, second best looking guy in the world is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was real cool. Uh, you sat in for this one, Maxie. Yep. Shane actually did a digital dessert with mm-hmm. uh, Chris, and that will be up at some point in the future. Yeah, he freaks me out a little bit. He's eerily calm at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, he has a very nice- To make him laugh is actually scary, because it's like, whoa, I didn't think you had it in you to even- laugh and then he goes straight from a crazy laugh to eerily calm again he threw me off like of, of all people all right so this interview took place uh really early in the morning came in uh we sat in with him like shane said he's very sort of eerily calm and he moves at his own pace and he's a very thoughtful guy and it was cool to sit down with him because i know he means a lot to a lot of people uh, including my sister-in-law courtney she's a huge fan well i remember danica was a big fan in high school oh man yeah totally well it was funny because it was like I was like, oh, yeah, Dashboard's coming. Like, we're going to do an interview. And it's gotten to the point now, like, where we're doing this all the time, it's, like, not necessarily, like, a point of conversation. And so I just kind of said that flippantly. And both of them were like, what? And got, like, super excited. And then you emailed me and said, we got to do this one. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one thing um, off the top of this interview for our listeners is that when we sat down to do this, uh, almost right away, Chris requested that we switch sides because he initially sat to the right of Max and I. 
And the reason he asked to switch sides with us is because he has difficulty hearing in his left ear. And maybe if you're, you're a big dashboard fan, you already knew that, but Max and I didn't. So we're like, oh, you know, like what, what happened with that? And uh, that sort of ends up opening up the interview. So that's what you're going to hear right off the top. All right, you guys want to get to him? Let's do it. Great out of this year. Oh, do you want to flip it? Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Is that a touring issue for you? Engine that exploded when I was a kid. Oh, seriously? Yeah. We're rolling, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So out of your left ear, you have difficulty hearing because of an engine that exploded when you were a child? Yeah, we put my uncle and I were putting like a new engine in my motorcycle and we started it up and it exploded. Jesus. And that was that. And, uh, it, there was no damage to besides my eardrum. How old were you? Uh, six, I think. Whoa. So you've just been living with it the whole time? Yeah. Wow. For a musician, that's crazy to be down, a, down an ear. Yeah, I'm not totally down. I just, <laughs> it's not uh, the most precise. Yeah, because that's like an old person mood. Like, oh, actually, can you stand on this side? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one's a little wonky. Yeah. yeah. Well, going back sort of a bit since we started at, at six years old, uh, you grew up in Florida. No, I grew up in Connecticut. I moved to Florida around um, 16 or 17, something like that. Oh, so you were like a teenager that. already when you moved there. Yeah, I was, yeah. Is that a tough age to move? Yeah, it's not a great age to move. But when you do move and you find out that like, uh, you know, if you're skateboarding, you find out you can skate all year and then there's like kids that are in bands and like maybe a girl will ask you to study and they want to study at uh, on at the beach. <laughs> like... <laughs> In a bathing suit? That's not bad. It's, like, it's not it's like just, this in Connecticut. No, nah, it eases the blow a little. <laughs> well, I guess in Connecticut, what did your sort of neighborhood look like? What did your parents do? Um, well, we lived uh, we lived in a walk-up apartment. Um, my mom was uh, pretty sharp. She was like, she, she called it rich adjacent. <laughs> we always lived in like this. Uh, we weren't, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we always lived like, in an area that would be in this good school district and things like that. And so it's one of those things my brother and I were like, we didn't know we were poor till we were grownups. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you didn't quite feel it. It was no, just the reality of the yeah, situation. Was, yeah, we just were clueless. Looking back, it's pretty obvious. But um, well, Why'd you move to Florida? Uh, my mom got a job. Uh-huh. We moved a lot. Um, you know, single mom, um, trying to better our lives all the time. And, um, and so she... Uh, she got a job uh, as the director of a um, home for abused kids or and kids that uh, whose parents were drug addicts, and it, it was it was this incredible it was an incredible place, um, and it was an incredible learning experience because we were there a lot. You know, and, uh, this town that, she, that that we moved to was a relatively affluent town, Boca Raton. So, yeah, so to to be in that town. But far from the trappings of what it's, living in a town like that could be, was a was probably the 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 best thing that could have happened to us. I think we would have stumbled into this. Well, we wouldn't have ended up in that town anyway if she hadn't gotten that job. But you know, if we'd ended up in this town with this uh, areas of magnificent wealth, we would have suddenly known how poor we were you know and also we might have fallen into the trappings of like you know caring about 
this crap that isn't important at all. Like these materials things yeah. and yeah. But instead, we moved for this job my mother got, where uh, these kids were not children of people with big yachts. You know, exactly. They were, they were lucky to be alive, really. Sure. And it was pretty incredible. Was she uh, like? Is she musical? Was music a big part of your family growing up? Yeah, my mother's a musician. She's a piano player and a um, singer. Um, she, um, but she also filled the house with music. I mean, there was just there was music being played constantly in our in our house. Um, and she has pretty eclectic taste. And then she would be very interested in the things that my brothers and I got into. She would listen to the bands, not like grudgingly listen to the bands that we were into, but like really kind of like interested in what they were doing. Interested, like yeah. get excited about it. She was a, she's an active music fan. What? Um, cause I thought you grew up in Florida, and so and there's that sort of Florida punk scene, yeah, sort of ground zero. What's what was the when the scene in? Connecticut, uh, maybe you weren't into it because you moved when you were 16 or 17, but what, what did that look like? Um, where I was, it was like non-existent. And okay. I was at like Hartford, and I think everything Hartford. that was happening that was cool in music was New Haven, which might as, which is relatively close, but at that age, you know, no car, no public transit, sure. might as well have been a thousand miles away. Uh-huh. Um, and everybody seemed to be, it was weird, it was everybody seemed to be in the mu- into the music their parents were into. Mm. Okay. Like they were all into Hendrix and The Dead Mm. and I thought that was weird I like those bands a lot I love those bands but there was no like sense of discovery it was just like oh well my parents listen to this I'll listen to it too and then I moved down to Florida and you know I'd I'd started skateboarding in Connecticut and you know in the skateboard culture music is a vibrant part of it in the skate videos and in the magazines with the reviews and all that stuff. And that's how I discovered music. And there was nobody, no one that listened to the kind of music I listened to when I lived in Connecticut. And then I moved to Florida and found. Were you like, this is the like best? Me. Yeah, this it was like is the my best. home? Yeah, These are my people. These are my people. And I, you know, it was in short order that, you know, like, and I grew up in the same areas, like the kids that would start Newfound Glory and Shia Lude and Poison the Well and all these bands that would go on from Florida to be successful. And um, we worked really hard together to create this music scene. And I think we benefited from the fact that we were uh, really geographically isolated. To be so far south in Florida is really not cost-effective for bigger bands to come all the way down there, you know, um, to play for, frankly, the few kids that were actually there that were massive music fans i mean there was it was a big by our standards you know because it was like a homegrown homespun local scene where you know local shows would have a thousand kids but then the big shows would also have a thousand kids because there was only a thousand kids that <laughs> right. were listening to music but we all worked really hard together and you know it's a, what i'm most proud of i think is the fact that so many of us are still making music and working at it together you know newfound glory like chad worked on my, our new record with us a little bit. And, um, you know, now we all live in a different state, but we all live there. It's like all these same, like the further seems forever and new, newfound glory and yellow card. And, um, it's a long list of 
we've relocated, but we've stayed in the same neighborhood again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a part of your story and sort of the big part of the narrative is that you were teaching and then obviously this happened. Was teaching and I guess becoming sort of like a career musician, was the ambition always to make music a career and sort of you were teaching because it was steady and viable or was it like you were doing music and it was like, hey, this thing's kind of happening and I'm going to leave this? I think I wanted to be, I wanted to be, a, I was starting to become a teacher because I wanted to be a teacher. But it was the one career path that I saw that gave you like enormous amounts of time off that I could, that I could go off and, and, and uh, skate in the I, summers. That's right. Well, I, I could go off and do these tours. And so, you know, I was uh, not delusional. I thought like, well, I love music. I want to play music. I want to tour. Of course, I'll never be, you know, I'll never, this, this will never be my career, but I love it and I want to do it. And so I thought teaching was going to be rewarding in and of itself, but also gave me the opportunity to have a whole summer off where I could just go out and play shows with the band I was in, whichever band that was happened to be. Yeah. You know? And I, I, uh, I worked in the elementary school and the middle school for a long time. Um, I started working there in high school and through college and I, I was a preschool teacher and then I was, I ran the after school program and I was, um, a special needs aide. Um, but I never finished my student teaching. Um, because that's when the band it all started happening started happening and one thing that I think about all the time is that um, I wanted to stop and I wanted to wait and do my student teaching so I was already working as a teacher it's this weird anomaly at this period where there was it was really hard for, for schools to hire teachers that just weren't teachers they don't pay they don't pay well but very well in Florida for teachers so if you had enough credit hours and so and so you could work basically under somebody else's license um so I was working effectively as a teacher and I had all these great things like insurance, yeah. which is, which was the first time I ever had insurance and, and a, the last a salary, you know, and, uh, <laughs> um, it seemed like ridiculous, like that I would run, run from that because my band started to do well. Cause it didn't seem, it just seemed like this weird impossibility. It's, it's not sustainable. It would seem if you think about it logically. Right. So I had this vice principal that said to me, um, you know, I, I was starting, to, I was like still working there and it's getting like write-ups in Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> and my vice principal was like, you got to go. And I was like, well, I can't go. I mean, I've got insurance here and I, <laughs> I got I I to finish my student teaching and I want to have a degree and all that stuff. And she's like, look, this is a wonderful thing she did. She says, I'll, I'll guarantee you your job for a year. And, uh, I hope I never see you again. <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And you never went back. And I didn't go back. No, <laughs> I got lucky. Well, with that, like, I mean, sort of the ascension and your success, is there anything that felt like it happened too quick or anything you would do over? No, it looked to, to the outsider like it happened really quick, quickly. But I was touring, I probably did two and a half years of average, like 300 days of the year before anybody, before I had a record deal. Interesting. Before I had... Uh, any real press, you know, so to speak. And so, so you were already grinding and doing all of that yeah, stuff. And it was very, my, my fan base is homespun. It was, it's from the ground up. And, um, so it looked like, it looked real fast. If you weren't aware 
of how slow it went. So know? nothing right. felt overwhelming because I was looking through history and it was like 2002 and it's like there's all these awards and it's like, holy, it just seemed like a lot of things were going on. So there's nothing, nothing, you don't look back on anything and go, oh man, I would have done this a little bit differently or it all feels like it was going at an appropriate pace. There are things I wish I'd done differently, but not from that era. Okay, what era? Later. Um, I wish I had trusted my own instincts more than the direction I was being given a little later on. Fascinating. Um, Though, I will say, I was eager to learn, and I was uh, surrounded by people that were inarguably experts at, at doing this thing that I'm that I'm doing by instinct. I'm not an expert, you know, I just, I think the thing that's actually benefited me, benefited me the most is that like, I'm almost a great songwriter. And maybe I will be one day, you know, but it, I think my sound, songs sound like somebody that's almost great, which I think maybe is better than just being great. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I do think that I was, I, I followed other people's vision for how I should approach the writing, the recording. The it's such a fine line because you know they're all part of the team and you know we all want to win collectively together. Like they like That's to right. use the word win. We want to win together. Sure. And, and you know they have experience, they've done it before. So there is a roadmap if you yeah. want to follow it. But if you go too far not trusting your instincts, you know, as you said, the instincts are what, you got, what got you there in the first place. So it's, uh, that, that's always hard to navigate. It's yeah. like how much you ought to be listening and how much you should say, fuck it, I'm going to just do this my, like my way. So I, I guess I don't regret. Regret would be too strong of a word, but I, but I won't do it again. I don't regret taking that instruction or, or towing, for lack of a better term, towing the company line and all that. But as I made this record, I was, I, I reasserted that original idea that I'm going to do this on my own and do the way that feels right to me, and that's kind of it. Yeah. And uh, it may not be. They may be right. It may not be as good, or as sellable, or whatever. Um, but it'll just, in my opinion, it'll be right. Mm. I always think you just if you as long as you treat every even with this podcast, it's like as long as you treat every experience as just a learning experience and you try not to place it any like real value on it other than, hey, I learned something from it, then you then everything is okay. It's actually kind of a nice way to live. <laughs> Which is still true because I did learn something from that period. From the, that, yeah, that's the way it sounds like so, you're talking about it. But and and I became better for it. Um I became a better writer for it, better I certainly learned uh, production engineering and stuff uh, skills to the degree I hadn't known them before and enabled me to make this record on our own, um, enabled us to make this record on our own. Um, so without having done that, we wouldn't be able to make the record that we made this time. Right. Well, with this record, you know, we both uh, read the New York Times article, uh, the piece on you, and you mentioned Julian Baker and Dawes. Like, what other records have you been listening to that maybe influenced this new record? Oh, so this... <laughs> nothing. Because I, 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 I put, like, a moratorium on, on um, 
any new music at all while I'm making a record. Uh, Interesting. Which kind of sucks because I miss out on all this great stuff. What's the purpose uh, of that? To sort of I don't want to accidentally rip off somebody that's doing something right now. And I also don't want to get too wrapped up in something that's interesting to me right now, but may not be interesting to me six months from now. But what's great is when I'm done, I get like this deluge of all this music that came out in the last two years. And it's all brand new to me. And I just get to just dive in and and listen like constantly to this music that everybody else is like, what are you what do you mean you just got this record? <laughs> that was on the best of list of 2015, my yeah. friend. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard the new Strokes record? <laughs> <laughs> is this it? Yeah. Well, with, I mean, you know, I, I mean, to me, music is music, but genre is obviously sort of big to a lot of people, whether it's like a punk scene or a grunge scene and emo in sort of that sort of genre and you being sort of the forefather of that. 20 years later, how do you relate to sort of the, the fans and where you were at at that time? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm always fascinated by the idea of like sort of having a genre of music and sort of being a part of a scene, but then obviously still creating music and, and moving on. Do you still relate to a lot of that stuff? Do you feel like it, those things still resonate? Do you mean look, looking back? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, well, I grew up listening to music that was called emo that I don't think sounded, it influenced the scene I was part of. But I don't think we sounded like that. Like what would be an example of a band that you listen to? Like Sunny Day Real Estate, for example. Sunny Day Real Estate and Saves the Day don't sound like the same band. But they were both called the same genre. And Saves the Day and Dashboard don't sound like the same band. And we were called the same genre. Uh, We were lumped into the same genre. And so the fact that it was such an anomalous thing... um, exemplify that I think that the scene itself was more about as much about ethos as it was about the content of the music. Um, you know, the, the term emo, when it was first used to describe m- not just me, but my peers as well, our, our, era sure for lack of a better term um we felt like maybe it was a slightly misappropriated or it was reappropriated i should oh, say okay because it was like well you know Sensefield and sunny day and and all these bands that came before us well they were the and promising they they were the emo bands and we were we didn't think we were something like new and exciting and different we were bucking we just were like we had respect for them and we weren't sure we'd earned the right to be categorized in the same place that they were categorized. And, and this is when emo was a, a neutral term. It was kind of a catch-all for just uh, bands that were um, connected, that connected with their audience on a per- personal level somehow. Um, that did write emotional songs, but I always have trouble with that because everybody's songs are emotional. It's hard to find songs that aren't emotional. Um, and it's kind of like if you'd like use an, uh, any other term to pick one out of the hat, like hipster sure. was like a neutral term that just kind of meant like, oh, these people are into interesting things, artists and things. They live in the city. Yeah. yeah. And then it became like... Um, like something that apply, applied to people that for people that just dress like the people that were actually into the things mm-hmm. to catch and off. then it became an insult 
Um, and I think the same thing happened with emo. Um, it's just this catch-all term. And then it was, it was a, first it was catch-all, then it was affectionate, then it was derisive. Um, and now it's, it's sort of making its way back to being in like an, like a, a positive term. I think there's I affection with the term now. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's people that are going to hate the idea of, I remember, I, I won't say which band said this, but there's a band that said, the question was, if any band, if you could make any band disappear from existence, what would it be? And the band said, R.E.M. And that, that just boggled my mind. And it was because, and they said it was because they sing about their feelings. And <laughs> there's I was no so REM, perplexed. There's no indie bands. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but I was so perplexed, like. Doesn't everybody so, sing about their feelings? Yeah. So like, I mean, I know in the 50s, like you sang about cars. <laughs> and. Since then. <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't, I, I think it's been feelings pretty much since then, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, that one, that's a head scratcher to me. Um, lastly, I mean, it's always fascinating when you get to a certain level of success and sort of like people that maybe were people you looked up to become peers all of a sudden, has anyone ever reached out to you where you're like, holy shit, you know, so-and-so has sent me a message or pulled me aside. Yes. I feel like you're the guy who probably gets that all the time. <laughs> every corner. I want to ask this question because I'm like, you must have fans in every corner and every genre yeah. who grew up listening to you who are now big stars. Give us one good one. I mean, Taylor, Taylor Swift's pretty popular. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard of her. Um, and then... Any hip-hop dudes? Well, you know, like, there's, there's that new, that whole new era of hip-hop. Like, yeah. Nothing Nowhere, which I was happy to be included on his record. Um, and there's, and then there's, like, you know, like, Eddie Vedder coming up to me and telling me how much he loves my voice. Wow, crazy. blows my mind. Very and then, cool. <laughs> um, and I know I have a polarizing voice, and he's got such an iconic voice. So that was I, – I appreciated that one. Um, and then there's, there's all these new bands that I love so much, and to, to hear that they've name-checked me after I've already fallen in love with them, it makes me feel pretty proud of, pr- proud of myself. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm proud of mm-hmm. myself for that, that they – that if nothing else – Somebody that's writing stuff that I'm floored by was inspired in some measure by something I did, just as I was inspired by others. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Max. Yeah. Do you have anything else? No, no that's it. Thank that's you, fantastic. guys. Thank you. Really appreciate it. That's cool. Yeah, this is great. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the show, the dessert. We are here as we were off the top with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane. Yo, yo. What do you got for us? You know, Max is always using the pod to promote his band. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think you got so many followers? And uh, <laughs> you're, you were just promoting Danica, your wife, saying she's the best. That's Yeah, I was, yeah. I just, she's looking for more followers, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I wanted to promote my wife for a split second. Hey. I, I want to ask you about this, yes. actually. We haven't talked about it. I know yeah, where this yeah, is going. I know where this is going. For the last little bit, I guess I've been looking for a passion of mine. So I started listening to Gary V, and he's this motivational speaker business dude. And he was basically telling me to find something that 
when I do it, it gives me energy rather than takes it away because I can be really lethargic if I'm not super into a project. And then I realized what I'm passionate about is managing maternity blogs. And it's like, (laughs) I got super into this. I'm obsessed with this world. And my wife is very, like, I'm a very bad writer, but I'm a very good idea person. My wife is very good at executing an idea if you give it to her. And she can do it very quickly too. That's a big important part. Anyway, I'll cut to the chase. We started a uh, Instagram account called This Family Tree. Oh, yeah. And the name alone took four months before we found the name. Like, we've been planning this for quite a while, and I've been keeping it under wraps. Yeah. And her first three posts, her third post got more likes than my most liked post that I've done after eight years of having Instagram. (laughs) So she's already killing it. She's already got two sponsorship opportunities. And uh, some big uh, maternity blogger just said, this is my favorite new blog. Oh. Amazing. So, so she got promoted. And I'm not going to start bawling my eyes out here, but I found out my kid has a heart problem now. And oh. it's going to require heart surgery. Oh, so it's called coarctation of the aorta. Okay. And since the Isang for Lupus Challenge is dead, I was thinking of doing Isang for coarctation of the aorta. Rolls off the tongue. Rolls <laughs> off the tongue real nice. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But um, <laughs> if anyone has anything like that going on in their lives, uh, your mom or you're pregnant or you have children, maybe this family tree could help you because – uh, my wife, Alex, is a teacher. She's very good at teaching and explaining things and reciting what she's experienced in her pregnancy and stuff like that. So could be worth a follow. No, yeah. it is worth a follow. Go check it out. I'm saying it. I follow it. I check. I follow yeah, it on I follow Instagram. It That's how I knew, obviously, yeah. uh, while I was away, I read that about the heart condition with your unborn daughter. And we chatted a bit about it. And then, of yeah. course, when I got back. But it, it's funny because the nut <laughs> has been freaking out on me yeah. lately. Uh, I guess because I've been demeaning him on the pod. <laughs> I guess because I've been- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he's so upset. But it's funny because through managing my wife's Instagram account, I kind of understand where his head's at because when my wife got all these opportunities and these good things happening, I was like, yes. And I was so pumped. I felt like I had done something really good when in reality, my wife does all the work, really. I just come up with the ideas, but she actually does the hard work. So when I'm jokingly putting the nut down about going to Korea and maybe not deserving to be there, mm-hmm. but I kind of do understand why he's getting so heated. He had an all-timer today that, oh, yeah. I, uh, that I forwarded to your brother, actually. I took a screenshot. To my brother, yeah, Greg did, Greg Veerman. Did you see Australian that? Greg, Australian as pod Greg. listeners know. Um, and this is no laughing matter, but the post itself was a laughing matter, <laughs> is that he posted an Insta story of a hospital wristband that he was wearing. Oh my God. And yeah. it said, I prefer festival wristbands. So, and then in brackets, I'm fine. This was scheduled and not a big deal. Brackets. So, you know, the, the point is, the nut can make anything into an event. <laughs> you know, he, he's starting a maternity blog. He is. Yeah. All right. Good luck. It's hard work, man. Um, I, I had a quick question about the maternity blog. Uh, when you said you found your passion is managing them. Mm-hmm. Had you just been like consuming a ton before you guys jumped into this? Well, I was just like, Alex, you're, she's really good at writing essays. And uh, anytime I'm writing something, I just give it to Alex and she'll correct it, sort it out. And she can do it in like a second. So I just suggested that maybe she should do it. And then once it was so successful right off the bat, 
like she's she's getting like 40 new followers a day and it's just growing and people are contacting her and her inbox is like wall to wall packed with has she got any women. hate mail none because it's she's like, so obnoxiously beautiful for a pregnant yeah. lady that well, I, think that, I think women would just want no, to kill No, what her, I did was right? I told her, I go, I go, you have a very annoying look. <laughs> I go, like, your lips are full. The people are going to think you're one of those injection people. You're blonde. You're posing. You're pouting. I was like, post videos of you actually, like actually speaking. Because Alex has an interesting juxtaposition of looking very good and done up, but talking very relatable and yeah. lovable. So once people started seeing how her voice sounded, she got a lot more messages. Well, this this is it because when people first meet Alex, it, like if they've never talked to her and just see her in the room, like other women, they want to kill her. Oh yeah. But then when they meet her, everyone's like, I want to fucking kill this bitch, but she's oh. so nice, <laughs> yeah. and she's and like she's coming over and we're like making pancakes together. Like, oh yeah, yeah. When we were on our first date, I was so nervous, and then she started talking. I was like, I'm cooler than this girl. Like <laughs> this, is, this is a lock. <laughs> It's like she doesn't know. But yeah, just anyway, makes, yeah. it, it makes for the perfect blog. You mean wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mean life partner. It's a perfect marriage. I'm not in it for free stuff based on Instagram followers. <laughs> okay, so I guess uh, I was teasing Birchall on the pod a little bit mm -hmm. uh, about maybe not deserving going to Korea. And he messaged me. He also made a rap about it too. But I made a rap about it. You have a single him. coming out. I do. Uh, but he started messaging me like overly uh, mean stuff. Like I'm going to bash your fucking face in. Uh, <laughs> wait, I'm just going through some texts here. He printed them off. We got to put these on Instagram. Oh, he goes, um, basically... Birchall wants to have a boxing match between me and him. <laughs> and he's convinced himself that he can beat me up and that he's going to break my kneecaps, bash my face in, <laughs> break my nose. That's uh, not how boxing works. <laughs> he immediately goes for the kneecaps. <laughs> I guess he was mad about you saying the thing about the iPad also. Oh, was he? Uh, yeah, was he funny. messaged me all, all this stuff. And I told him I would apologize, and then he said, uh, no need. I'm just going to bash your fucking face in during this boxing <laughs> match. <laughs> and then I go, ha, 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 like to try to play it down. I go, deal. I go, I, I, I told my wife the idea, and she was actually worried for my safety. He goes, oh, I'm going to kick the living shit out of you. Make no mistake, I've got a lot of pent-up hostility. <laughs> I go, who'd have thought a man nicknamed the nut would have so many issues? He goes, not issues, drive and determination. <laughs> and he said, and a very underbalanced opportunity to retort against you and Max and your comments. Wow. That was very different than my text interaction. I'm going to pull mine up because it was like kind of the opposite. Well, you're like the star, right? So he's got to like handle you with star clothes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Can't uh, wait to hear these texts. Uh, yeah, what did he say? Give, well, give us the gist of it. So, so the gist of it, yeah, I just called them and I said, oh, hey, man, you know, I was just joking around, you know, we love you, blah, blah. He's like, oh, no problem, all, all good. And then we just carried on to the next There was no mention of violence against Shane? No, nothing. He wants to do it at the, the rally also, which is like <laughs> one of the biggest shows you guys are doing. They're still looking for an opening act. <laughs> so is this something that can happen? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Is I don't think we want to promote any more violence in East Hamilton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we want to keep this, for, you know, full of love and community. So I, I don't think we can do it at the rally. But is this something like because yo? What if it was? An, what if it was 
an, a, like a after party idea where it's like we rent out like a, a facility and, yeah. and, and, and like it's a boxing match. Like, you know, I would love to do that. I really want to do it. Do you, but you think it's a good idea, Mike? Yeah. And we'll charge admission and maybe it can go to charity. I think you and the nut having a boxing match. Actually, I don't like it. No? No. Why? Justin Trudeau was in a boxing match. Oh, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. They got celebrity boxing. Like if Urkel and fucking Betty White can box. I'd hate to see you guys hurt each other, though. Do you think nut would hurt me, though? Honestly? <laughs> they hurt each other every time they talk about each That's other. That's true. That's true. It's Emotional just kind of wounds, yeah. It's but... the kind of hurt you can't see. Yeah. yeah. You know what we got to start talking about? Because people keep asking is another live show. Let's do it. When should we do it? That could be the that could be the climax of the last Let, show. We'll do it okay. in uh, like May. May? May in Hamilton. When's the rally? Not till June. But can we just admit that I would kill the nut in a boxing sure. match? <laughs> I, well, here's, my money would be on you. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he somehow pulled it off. Well, just because you're quicker. And you're taller. You're more athletic. You're taller. Yeah. Longer arms. Okay. So I know this is getting overly long and it's like how many topics can we uh, talk about? But I most important thing here to me is Nathan Fielder. Right. And shockingly, you actually came through with the tweeting. I thought you were just bullshitting. Oh, uh, hey, man. Is this because you're all like in the moment now? You're like, who cares? Is that why? I feel like you wouldn't do this in the past. No. No, I think I would have done it in the past. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. My barometer for things like of this nature is kind of based on my gut instinct. And as soon as I heard it, I felt good about it. So just so people know what we're talking about, Max tweeted through the Arkells account, which has over 60,000 followers on Mm -hmm. Twitter. Uh, He tweeted that I was trying to find Nathan Fielder and I was willing to give Nathan a million dollar check for a short five minute interview. And he asked his fans to retweet it. And to date, it has 88 retweets. Pretty good. Which is pretty good. I was hoping for more. But <laughs> well, it's, it's not a maternity blog. No. <laughs> well, you kind of buried it in the Twitter feed, too. You, like, put it up, and then you're like, blah, 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 post. This guy. Yeah. You want me to pin it to the top? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Could no. you? Okay. No. <laughs> but it did get me a little bit of traction. I got an email from a guy. Like, I'll edit out all this email, but I'll just read this it This is awesome. Love. But, like, quite a long email. So, and, and, not- and if you happen to just be, like, a Dashboard fan and this is your first dessert, go back and listen to Shane's obsession with getting Nathan on the show. Like he said, uh, this is all out of an effort to do that. Because this guy's got some ideas. I think he's a very smart guy, and he kind of gets me. And so I want to see what you guys think of these mm-hmm. ideas. Okay. Uh, so he goes, Shane, hope all is well. Okay, first some context. In the late 90s and early 2000s, I was part of a comedy sketch troupe in Toronto. We used to perform at a comedy nightclub called Alt.Comedy Lounge, still running every Monday night at the Rivoli. We got to see a lot of horrible comedy, but also got to see some hilarious folks hone their craft and try some pretty ridiculous shit. A couple of dudes who were always very funny to me were Chris Locke and James Harnett. Chris, I didn't really know that well, but James I went to university with and had shot some comedy sketches with previously. He's easily one of the funniest dudes I've ever met. I still love everything he does. Around that time, my sketch troupe was winding down our comedy efforts and taking on real jobs. I remember seeing videos with James and Chris and this deadpan dude named Nathan. I never met the guy, but I totally remember seeing him around and always thought he was pretty funny. Flash forward and holy shit, Nathan for you is literally the greatest. Here's a sketch of Chris and Nathan that I always loved. Then he sends me a YouTube link. Here's one of James and Nathan. He sends me a YouTube link. 
Both of these guys are still working comics in Toronto. Chris has put out a comedy album and has a podcast called Utopia to Me. And last year even had Nathan on as a guest. I know James is in touch with Nathan too. And I've seen a couple of tweets back and forth between them and some pics on Facebook. So safe to say they're still buds. Regarding getting in touch with them, Chris on Twitter gives me his information. James gives me his information. Then he says, clearly my name holds zero weight in all of this, but I've got a couple ideas. Here's the ideas. Number one infiltrate the comedy scene as an up-and-coming stand-up comic. Mm. Get tight with Nathan's Toronto comic friends and parlay it into contacting Nathan. Film the experience on the Cobra Cam. Very Nathan for you, don't you think? Sort of joking, but would make for some pretty amazing content. P.S. We'll cut that part. Number (laughs) (laughs) Number two. Here's the easier way, and a bit slimy, but hey. I think Chris Locke is actually a legit and worthy guest for your pod. Successful touring Canadian stand-up, album out, on TV. Pretty sure him and James were founders of Last Sabbath, which is a comedy night that is still going strong, and Nathan performed at a bunch. During the interview, you could tell him in your research you found the above clip of him and Nathan and the hilarious scatting combo ensues. And who knows where things go from there. But at least you're literally talking to a guy who 100% has Nathan's direct contact info. Mm. Anyway, all along shot I know, but I'm a big fan of Nathan for you and your pod. I would love to see the two collide. I'm 100% cool with taking any of... With you taking any of these ideas and even discussing them on the pod, I just ask that you please don't use my name as I don't want any to come across of some weird fanboy who's coughing up half-assed information for some sort of gain. Thanks, lads. Keep up the good work and congrats on the incoming baby. What's his last name? <laughs> What's his last his name? His last name is <laughs> And his email is <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> we'll beep all that, of course. Yeah. But what do you think of those ideas? I like those it's ideas great. a lot. Let's, I, let's I, them. The idea of you infiltrating the comedy scene <laughs> and being a stand-up. That's a long con. Though. I love that idea. That is a long con. It's a lot of work. Maybe I could try that for the 200th if the 100th doesn't work out. I'm totally willing to honestly do it. You a got a maternity team. blog. And you're going to yeah. have a baby. How are you going to find time to be a stand-up all in the service of getting an interview with Nathan? I work long hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, we could book a dude, though. Alex, like do you think your husband's having an affair? No, he's actually just aspiring stand-up in order to get an interview. <laughs> okay, but what I'm doing is I'm contacting Chris Locke, and on the next pod, my plan is to have a interview with him. But really, all I'm going to do is probe for Nathan. Like he'll be like ways dessert? to get to Nathan. Yeah. Nice. So he'll come on in the dessert, and you know, yeah, kinda, yeah, okay. I, I, I'm the usual it. routine. It's like, hey, want to be on the pod? The rug slips out from <laughs> underneath them. All of a sudden, they're in the dessert, not even talking to the real host, and they're t- answering some bullshit comedic questions. I love it. Hey, did you uh, see another suggestion uh, on Twitter? Oh, Brent from Brendan Kennedy. Oh no, I didn't get that one. He he tweeted said we should hire the investigator that Nathan hires ah to track Nathan. I did now, see that, which I think is kind of funny. That would be awesome. It just seems unlikely it was a very funny idea though this one's more of a real one too that i'm glad you mentioned Uh, a fan named nicole on twitter dm'd me she said hi guys my boyfriend has a cousin who is a director in hollywood he has reached out to his cousin i used to get those letters too back when i was young and good looking (laughs) we just need a couple photos mr veerman (laughs) his cousin is going to reach out to nathan fielder's people to try to help make the connection I will, I, I will keep you posted on how things progress. I said, amazing. Thanks, Nicole. Then she uh, sends me the text she sent. She goes, hey, Brandon, what's up in Tinseltown? I normally wouldn't do this, but Nicole <laughs> has a connection to a podcast here called Mike on Much, and I was wondering if you would know how to contact Nathan Fielder or be able to point me in the right direction. Thanks, dude. He says, 
he responds, this director, goes, I'm happy to make the connection. Let me see what I can get from him and his team, and I'll get back to you. So I looked up the guy's name, and his name is oddly... Martin Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Steven Spielberg. This cousin's legit. (laughs) Cousin Marty. But the guy's name is Brandon Nutt. Whoa. And he did a movie called Hijacked in 2012. And it looks kind of like a Fast and Furious type, maybe straight to DVD, maybe not. Yeah. But it looks like in that style of action-packed movie. I remember Nicole from the live show as well. She was great. Yeah, it might be be Brandon Butt. But either way, it's a very comic name. (laughs) It's a lead. Nuts or butts, we'll take it all. (laughs) (laughs) We can end on that laugh. I thought that was a pretty good joke. That is good. Wait, the name? Oh, it's Brandon Nutt. Isn't that odd? (laughs) (laughs) I like the last joke. Yeah, well, we'll find a joke. There's lots of laughs. That's it, guys. Thanks. Sweet. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional for joining us for a conversation. The Mike on Much podcast can be found online at Mike on Much for Instagram and Twitter. As I said earlier in the show, if you like the show, give us a rating in iTunes. Huge thank you to Jenna Gregory and Tara Paquette, the ladies who put together the artwork for the show. Huge thank you to Webmaster Dan, Greg Stewart for letting us use his office, Boss Man Justin. Yeah, Sarah McLaren, Mike whole, McShane. The whole gang. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you in the future, and uh, we might all be going to Junos. Maybe. Yeah. Working on that. That's another Mike McShane shout-out right there. Mm-hmm. Mike on Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. 